Welcome to Studio Berlin, our weekly current affairs show here on KCRW Berlin. I'm your host, Soraya Serhadi Nelson. Today we will talk about leisure travel. That's something many of us would be planning right about now if it weren't for the coronavirus pandemic. Here in Germany, during an interview with public broadcaster ARD, Foreign Minister Heiko Maas issued a warning against any travel outside the country until mid-June at the earliest. We brought German tourists who were scattered across the world back home, but we will not be doing the same again this summer. So much depends on how we and other countries continue to fight this pandemic. So what will leisure travel look like going forward? And if the travel warnings are lifted, will it be safe to go on vacation, given it's likely there will be a second, more serious wave of COVID-19? With me on the line from Washington is Elizabeth Becker. She's the author of Overbooked, The Exploding Business of Travel and Tourism, and is also a former New York Times correspondent. Welcome, Elizabeth. Hi, nice to be here. Also on the line from New York is travel journalist Catherine Alex Bevan, whose articles have appeared in Fedora's Travel, Lonely Planet, and Travel and Leisure, among other publications. Welcome, Alex. Hi, thanks for having me. Before we start, let me remind everyone that the pandemic means I'm not in the studio, so please forgive any internet drops and unusual sounds during our conversation. Here in Germany, Chancellor Angela Merkel has declared the first wave of the pandemic to be over, and the U.S. is lifting restrictions as well. So let's start with you, Alex. How are the relaxations affecting leisure travel? Um, well, for starters, I feel like this is it's good news, but it's also, I feel, bad news. The lifted restrictions will be a little bit more attractive for potential travelers, but it doesn't mean that these places necessarily are safe. It doesn't mean that there are things to do once you get there, and it doesn't mean that you should go. I think that a lot of people may look at Germany as a safe place to travel now, but still there are a lot of countries where their borders are closed. I think that in some ways, easing lockdowns will give people a false sense of security, lead to a little bit of uh, premature excitement for travel. Well, Elizabeth, that's actually a good question. How safe will it be to travel internationally, whether going from Europe to the U.S. or vice versa? And who is going to be responsible for protecting travelers against the coronavirus? There's a bit of anarchy out there, quite a bit of anarchy. And it's not just country to country, but within the United States, very much state to state. And you have a problem of governance. We're obviously talking to you in Berlin, and Germany has had a very good governance issue, no big problems during the coronavirus. You have a strong health system and you have a good safety net. But back here in the United States, it's been mishmash and we do not have a strong uh, health care system for the citizens. And we've had deep, deep unemployment. So you're missing three important gauges here. Trust that something is healthy. Trust that you're going to be able to be cured if you are sick. And the money to go and travel. So industry can, can say we're open for business, but who's gonna say, oh, there's no regulation here? Do you have a public certificate? Can I trust you if you only say you're doing this and no one has checked it out? Who should be regulating that? In general, if people trusted their government, it would be the government, and we have any number of ways. Remember in the old days when we had those yellow pamphlets that we used to show that we've been vaccinated when we traveled? Um, we have passports to show that we are who we say we are. 
and we have a security system. So I think you're going to see various levels of government start to look at ways to ensure safety. And it will be more than just checking your temperature. So will it be up to the travelers to make sure they are socially distancing? Or will it be up to the airlines or the hotels or the restaurants? Here in Berlin, restaurants, for example, are being told to use their reservation systems to ensure they can quickly contact patrons if there is an outbreak. So who ultimately is responsible? Boy, that's a mishmash again, because um, some governments don't have any rules that they have to follow. Unfortunately, it's going to fall on all of us travelers to be really careful to study, just like Alec was saying, she's been studying whether or not she could go to Germany. I don't think most Americans know that the State Department has frozen um, new passports. They're not giving them out. Do Americans know which states have the highest level of coronavirus and where they want to go? So I think you're going to see people being wary. And if they have the disposable income, which is a big if, they're going to go closer to home. They are going to go where there are no crowds, think national parks, and they're going to be very careful. Alex, do you have anything to add? I mean, the short answer is no one really knows how safe it's going to be to travel because these are unprecedented times. There are studies going around that show the virus is likely to be less contagious in hotter weather with high humidity, but it's not completely confirmed. And we also need to be sure not to confuse a lower rate of transmission with no transmission. Nothing is is guaranteed or known. And it does look like there will be a fall resurgence if it does follow other coronaviruses. And we are still unclear if antibodies are effective or would even remain effective for a longer period of time or through different mutations. So, I mean, tourist vendors, if they're going to open, I believe are responsible for the safety of their guests and their staff. Like uh, the Langham Hotel Group lived through SARS and actually has an entire pandemic response that their hotels must follow. And a lot of vendors are already changing the way they do things, like hotels stopping daily housekeeping and then just disinfecting rooms after each guest or requiring masks and temperature checks, which is also something I would just like to touch on. The doctor I spoke to pointed out that temperature checks, they're helpful, but they're a false security. And that moment that they check your fever, you might not be presenting a fever. Um, And he also told me that some people he has spoken to will just take Tylenol or something before they're supposed to take a flight so that it reduces their fever. So then falling back again on what you both just said, it, it is also ultimately the, the responsibility remains with travelers, like with ourselves. Don't travel if you feel sick, bring wipes, sanitizer, wear masks, follow all the protocols to be smart for you and others. Elizabeth, Alex mentioned one of the previous SARS outbreaks. Are there lessons to be drawn from that? The way they've been handled is that the areas infected, people did not travel. That's the way they're handled. The lesson from that is that those governments, and I think Alec touched on it with the hotel chain, the governments realized that they had to be prepared and remain prepared for the next outbreak of a virus. It was SARS then, and now it is um, the pandemic. So that you have Singapore, Hong Kong, South Korea, they were prepared because they'd learned their lesson from SARS. And that will be the trick now. Will these countries not only learn protocols, 
but will they keep their country prepared? Will they have the stocks of all those PPEs and so on and so forth? So when travel begins, they can assure the visitor that yes, this government is prepared, the hospitals are ready should there be a problem, and they are ready to institute quarantines. We've talked about the healthcare repercussions, but what is going to happen to the destinations? Australia and New Zealand have been talking about creating a so-called bubble where travelers from their respective low-infection countries will be allowed to visit each other. Elizabeth, let's start with you. Where might the popular spots be, or how will that choice of destination change because of the pandemic? Well, in the short term, I think people are going to avoid crowds. And that would mean that the trend against over-tourism would prevail. Just before this happened, there are any number of destinations and places that were trying to figure out how to have smarter tourism, tourism that was not overwhelming, tourism that did not um, destroy the local culture or the local environment or landscape. That might be a trend. I don't know for sure. The other change will be in the short term, it's going to be hard for people to trust cruise ships. They were the sign of all kinds of problems. And that also is old tradition because they have resisted regulations and they've been caught in other stuff like this. So it's going to be a while. And I think the cruise industry is going to have to change. But the one thing that might happen is that the lessons learned from this will glide into preparations to prevent the continuing crisis in the climate change. And they're going to overlap because the rapidity of this pandemic with the travel in particular has helped spread it so quickly. And people are going to look at travel in terms of pushing back on the climate change. And that could be no flight days. You know, this country is going to say no flights on Tuesday and Wednesday. I don't know. But futurists are looking at that. How do you learn from this to also protect the planet from the climate crisis? Alex, what do you see as some of the leisure travel changes for the rest of 2020? A lot depends on how well we can get a handle on it, uh, the virus, and then also if there actually is a resurgence in the fall. But um, like if there is a constant threat, I think we're going to have more stringent and permanent safety measures. As Elizabeth mentioned, uh, vaccine records, certificates of health could be possible, the temperature checks, more vigilant cleaning protocols. I do think that activities where you're sharing equipment, like scuba diving or snorkeling, because they have like the rentals for that, would are definitely not going to be a, a thing for a while or ever again. Um, theme parks, all-inclusive resorts are more likely to have to implement changes Earlier, we touched on whether people can even afford to go on vacation, given the drop in disposable income. I'm wondering if these measures are going to drive up the cost of leisure travel. Yeah, you're right. The trend, like, for instance, in airplanes, is that people are looking at the more expensive, what are called private lines, where there's much more space and you have uh, much better protocols. You're going to see that Airbnb, for instance, is not going to look so good, so you're going to spend more money on your hotel room where you know there are protocols. Even the airlines themselves are saying that fares could go up like in the 50s, 1950s. So that could lead to people being less impulsive and taking fewer trips, many fewer trips, and um, staying a little longer. Yeah, I I agree. I I think that the luxury travel sector is 
going to remain largely unchanged, if not made even more exclusive and expensive, because that's where you get um, your intimate service. It's more isolated from other people. Uh, I think that you're going to see more people booking apartment hotel type things so that they can cook their, their own meals. I think Elizabeth is dead on with a lot of the things that she just said. Cruise ships are a very popular form of vacationing in the U.S. and Europe. Elizabeth, will that continue to be the case in light of the pandemic? Well, the CDC banned um, traveling in them, as you know, and that ban, I think, is over pretty soon. It's popular travel because it's inexpensive, but the reason it's inexpensive was for the evading of regulations. They're flagged and registered in, in countries that don't have regulations, like the Bahamas and Panama. So they were ripe for all kinds of problems. How soon the cruise ships change, whether or not they can convince passengers that they're healthy, and then crucially, will they be accepted around the world? Because we just saw Caribbean destinations that really do depend a lot on tourism, rejecting the ships during the outbreak because they didn't want the passengers to infect their own people. So cruise ships are facing a multitude of questions. Alex, what are some of the challenges you see for cruise lines? A lot of cruisers are in the older age group, which is a vulnerable age group, which I think is also another um, interesting challenge that cruises will will have to address. Um, But so far, I haven't seen any of them talk about any measures. I think that they're just sort of treading lightly on that now. But the, the futurist I did speak to for an article, one of the things that he was suggesting for cruise ships to do was to create like a quarantine area where if someone is ill, then they immediately go into a quarantine area that has its possibly its own kitchen, its own staff, its own medical personnel, et cetera, so that, that they are a little bit more sectioned off from people. What about travel between Europe and the United States? It's usually incredibly popular, whether it's Americans coming to Europe or Germans going to America. Is that over for the foreseeable future? I don't see a stampede to go across the Atlantic at this stage. Sure, again, just like Alex mentioned, the luxury sector, uh, the CEO of a corporation, the people who have a lot of money and know how to get around stuff, they'll do it. But it's going to be slow. Their airlines themselves are not planning to replace all these planes to get back on the transatlantic route. So do you see anything, Alex, that would tell you? I don't, actually. And and I think, I mean, would you would Europe even want us? We've had such a high infection rate, and it's, <laughs> it's not quite contained. I, I can't see why anyone would want us to come in. I have seen that places that with open borders, not necessarily just Europe, but they're requiring 14-day quarantines for anyone arriving from the United States and China and a few other highly affected countries. So I, I just think that if it's even possible, it's it's almost too uncertain and risky and too much of a hassle for people to, beyond people with money, to even attempt to do that when it's just a lot easier to go close to home at this point. That's certainly the thinking in my family. Unfortunately, we have to leave it there as we are out of time. I'd like to thank my guests, author and award-winning journalist Elizabeth Becker in Washington and travel writer Catherine Alex Bevan in New York. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. And enjoy Germany. 
Next, we will hear from some Berlin-based experts on what we can expect from tourism and travel here. Stay tuned. I'm Todd Zwillick. We named 1A after the First Amendment. It's for everybody, especially the curious. And because things are rarely black and white, 1A brings you all the colors. Join me weekdays and keep listening to this NPR station throughout the day. Tune into 1A weekdays at 4 on 104.1 KCRW Berlin. I'm Marco Werman, host of The World. Our reporters and producers are following events in every time zone. Their contacts include doctors, epidemiologists, and public policy experts. Get the facts, be prepared, be informed. Listen to The World. Tuesday through Saturday at 9 a.m. on KCRW Berlin. Welcome back to Studio Berlin. I'm Soraya Sarhadi Nelson. We are talking about leisure travel during the COVID-19 era, of which there's been very little. Many countries have closed their borders or mandated quarantines for anyone who arrives there from abroad. So what can we Berliners expect in terms of our travel plans? To help answer that question is my next guest, Nikki Gardner, a longtime Berlin resident who is co-editor of Hidden Europe magazine and co-author of the best-selling Europe by Rail, The Definitive Guide. Welcome, Nikki. Hi, it's very nice to be here. Thanks for inviting me today. Great to have you. As mentioned, borders are locked down even here in Germany. So what has leisure travel looked like in Europe over the past few months? Well, until uh, the middle of March, um, it was pretty good. I was in Switzerland on the 15th of March and I came back to Berlin in a hurry. And look how it's changed in those last six or seven weeks. Suddenly, we've got a whole new perspective on the world. Our eyes are focused on things very much closer to home because, quite frankly, Soraya, there hasn't been a lot of leisure travel in Europe over these past weeks. So what's going to happen now, though? I mean, we're seeing that a lot of the restrictions are starting to be lifted on movement in Europe and in the U.S. And certainly uh, here in Berlin, they're talking, or I should say in Germany, they're talking about uh, the middle of next month, potentially. So what is going to happen with leisure travel as these restrictions are lifted? Well, I think we are going to see some new opportunities arising, but I wouldn't want to raise the expectations of your listeners too high, too quickly. I still think the focus is going to be in 2020 very much on domestic tourism or visiting our near neighbors. We've seen the reinstatement of trains over the uh, German-Dutch border. I think we're very likely to see within the next week or two train services starting again to the Czech Republic. But ultimately, I think the focus for this year is gonna be a wee bit closer to home than perhaps some people would have liked. And will it involve quarantines? I mean, for example, Prime Minister Boris Johnson said that visitors coming to the UK would have to spend a certain amount of time in quarantine uh, during this pandemic. I really can't imagine people who are going for just a short break or a summer holiday being willing to endure quarantine restrictions. So the reality is that it's probably going to be the quarantine regimes imposed by particular countries which determine where we go. You've mentioned Boris Johnson's announcement uh, at the weekend. And even there, I think we're still waiting for some qualification. It sounds as though there's going to be an exemption for people who arrive from Ireland. 
or for people who arrived from France. But I think the most likely thing is that we'll see people from the Berlin area perhaps being able to make short trips into Poland, perhaps being able to go to the Alps. I think there's some, quite some possibilities there. So I think we're going to have to see how that pans out in just a few weeks' time. So what kind of travel is going to be popular uh, during this restricted pandemic era that we're in? I mean, are, is it rail travel? Is it cruise ships? Well, if you'll indulge me while I express a personal prejudice, um, I just hope it's not going to be cruise ships. I really can't imagine people dashing back onto cruise ships. And let's face it, Soraya, this has been a form of tourism which really takes people around in very big crowds, has a very negative impact upon the environment and upon the places visited. So let's hope we might see a little bit of rethinking of the appeal of the cruise ship holiday. I do think rail travel is going to be viable. Perhaps the first thing I'm going to do is to get an interrail pass. And that will be a wonderful opportunity to go off and to explore perhaps one or two of our neighbouring countries. Um, I think many people are going to want to travel by car. Plane travel is clearly going to have quite a big dip for some weeks and perhaps even months to come. With this change in where we go and how we go, are there any travel deals to be had? I mean, what can people be looking for in order to reduce the cost of traveling this summer? Or can they, in fact, expect that things will be more expensive? It's likely that things are going to be well expensive, but my advice to your listeners would be to plan carefully. We've already touched on the fact that we're all going to want to avoid going to places which are going to immediately confine us to two weeks quarantine. And particularly, I would look outside big cities. Now, one of the things I've been very struck in my travels around Europe for my work in recent years is how much more expensive big cities are than more rural areas. Would you recommend that people look more at domestic or more at international travel? Let's face it, there's probably many of our listeners in Berlin who have hardly explored the Erzgebirge regions of Saxony, perhaps don't know many areas of Germany's North Sea or Baltic coast. So why not just take this as an opportunity this year to discover home territory and perhaps to stay a little bit closer to home? and then venture tentatively into those countries around Germany, which are beginning to open up a little bit. Great. Well, thank you, Nikki. I hope you're able to do some traveling this summer. I'm certainly looking forward to it, aren't we all? <laughs> that was Hidden Europe editor and author Nikki Gardner. Let's turn now to people who plan to visit Berlin. Tourism is a very important trade here, and it's worrying to the city government when the United Nations World Tourism Organization forecasts a 60 to 80 percent drop in tourism around the world. Joining me via Skype to discuss this issue is Burkhard Kika, the CEO of Visit Berlin, which is the official organization promoting tourism and conventions in Germany's capital city. Welcome, Burkhard. Hello. Good morning. Let's give some context to how bad the situation is here at the moment. Has there ever been a time since reunification when Berlin tourism has been in this much trouble? Uh, no, this is a very special situation, obviously. And uh, uh, even in, uh, in 2008-9, when we had uh, the financial crisis, uh, Berlin was growing. Now uh, we are really in free fall concerning the numbers of, of tourists, like all other European and worldwide big cities. Is there any tourism going on at all, or is it completely shut down at the moment? Uh, about one third of, 
our hotels, uh, we have a, around 800 uh, is closed and the others are on on working on an emergency level. Um, many of them having uh, only a few business guests, scientists who have to be here in Berlin. But uh, the, the normal flow of tourists from all over the world, from beginning from Germany to Europe to Japan to the US, that's gone. So now that the first wave of the pandemic is ending and federal and local leaders want to actually reopen hotels toward the end of this month, what is that going to mean for Berlin? I mean, do you think leisure travel is going to resume? Well, we are d- deeply convinced that travel has become a cultural need uh, in, in the last 10, 15 years. So when the door is open a little bit, uh, people will come back. The challenge is to restart the engine. Uh, and so we try to, to focus on German tourists, on German guests in the first stage. And uh, we are very happy that shops are allowed to reopen again and that the, the restaurants uh, will, be, will be open uh, from the end of the week. But what will social distancing look like? I'm picturing the crowds of last summer, for example, or any summer in Berlin, where you have so many people. Obviously, that would not meet with the one and a half meters or five foot uh, distancing guidelines that are now required. Um, How do you envision leisure travel to Berlin will have to change then in order to allow for social distancing and uh, all the other restrictions that remain on our lives? I think wearing a mask will be the most obvious thing. And uh, given the fact that we have only a few tourists, social distancing is no problem. It will be a summer of social distancing. That means no bar and club life, but being outside, being in a beer garden, being in a restaurant where you have like, like it's in New York, for instance, uh, that you can eat in three shifts. That will be the new reality uh, in 2020. But I think people are so so keen to go out and to have a relatively normal life again that they will take this challenge. In terms of numbers, what are you anticipating then in terms of the number of tourists coming? What is that compared to, let's say, last summer? Last year, we had the all-time high of more than 34 million overnights in, in our city, which what made us number three in Europe just after London and Paris. I think that if we will have about 40% of that numbers in this year, that's realistic. And this would already help our visitor economy in the city. So do you think they'll be coming from just Germany or from the EU or from other countries as well? Well, one of the key issues is uh, whether it's allowed to travel in Europe. Uh, And uh, the second thing is... uh, Will there be air traffic again? Um, 60% of all visitors came by plane and there's almost no air traffic right now. And uh, all the airlines like Lufthansa, EasyJet, they are asking, uh, when do we open up again? So I I hope that when the travel ban is lifted after June 15th, that more flights will resume to Berlin and uh, that we will see also a modest increase in visitors from Portugal, from Greece, from wherever in Europe. Well, that was Burkhard Kikar, the CEO of Visit Berlin, which is the official organization promoting tourism and conventions here in Germany's capital city. Thank you so much. Oh, pleasure. And thank you for listening to our travel discussion with all of our guests today on Studio Berlin. I'm Soraya Sorheri-Nelson. 
Tune in again next week when we delve into how the reopening of Berlin restaurants is working and the growing criticism about pandemic-related restrictions. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook, as well as at kcrwberlin.com.